All right, welcome to another episode of Our IA Podcast. This is your co-host, Kevin Dagger, and current president of IA. And I have with me my uh, former president of IA, my co-host, Quinn Olivacci. What's going on, guys? Thanks for tuning in again. And on this episode, we're going to discuss term two. And to help us with this discussion, we brought on with us some special guests. You guys can go ahead and introduce yourselves. Hey, everyone. I'm Hannah. I'm a term three student, just wrapped up term two, and I'm from Atlanta, Georgia. Hey, everybody. My name is Amberlyn Foote. I'm also a term three student, and I'm originally from Daytona Beach, Florida. Happy to be here. Hey, I'm Gigi. I am currently a term three. I just finished term two. I'm from Orlando, Florida, and I'm excited to talk about all the goodies in term two. (laughs) Hi, I'm Alicia. I just finished up term two as well. I'm a term three student now, and I'm excited to talk to you all about my experience. Nice. Thank you guys for joining us. Um, So term two, I remember as soon as term one was over, uh, we started going into systems like MSK, CPR, and then term two is just kind of like an extension of uh, term one where in MS1, you're focusing on like the anatomy and the physiology subjects and stuff. So I guess the first question I would want to ask for anybody who's entering term two is what was your transition like moving in onto term two? Did you notice that your routine and your study habits were still the same starting the new module? I think what module did you guys have first? Was it ER or DM? ER. ER. ER, so that's endocrine, endocrine system. Okay, so yeah, so what was your transition like moving on from term one onto term two? Personally, I felt like, I'll, I'll just keep going. Personally, I felt like ER was a great transition module because it um, it incorporated a lot of the material we learned in FTM1 and FTM2 Um, just those basics, but then we also got into the overview of that organ system. Um, And that is actually something I wanted to talk about. Just um, the the change in study habits is definitely uh, reflected in the change in um, what we're taught. So the the concepts that we're taught in, um, so when we go from, you know, FTM, you're learning about cancer on a genetic level. And then when you go to term two, you're learning about the GI system in the DM module, and you're learning about why that was so significant and you're seeing the bigger picture. So it's kind of like, um, I would say if you were zoomed in on a map and then you started to zoom out and say, oh, I see why that's this shape, you know? So, um, that is what made term two for me, at least, uh, very enjoyable. So when you see those terms that may have seemed difficult in term one, when you see them again and you understand them, um, it makes everything kind of click. And then um, I had a lot of moments that I'm sure um, a lot of you guys have had where I was like, oh, it makes sense why, you know, I learned that, it, you know, in term one, like a G6PD deficiency causes this. It makes sense now. But before it was something that maybe I just memorized. So that's how I feel. Um, go ahead. I'm sorry I interrupted you. Well, no, I was pretty much going to say the same thing. It was a pretty smooth transition for me because um, we finished off with CPR too. And uh, with ER, we're kind of just picking back up on that. So once we started ER, even in DM kind of yeah, throughout those two modules, um, I was just able to flip back to lecture notes or just remember what we learned in term one to 
um, better understand what we're learning at the moment. Um, and just adding on to that, I guess the final note, I agree with everything they said, but I think that term two, of course, like, like we've all been saying, it's addition, uh, you're going into the organ systems, uh, covering new ones that aren't covered in term one. So you're kind of getting the basis throughout all of them. That's one of all the different organ systems, uh, as a first pass before going over them again, you know, in further detail later in later terms. But I think ER, um, from what I've gathered, speaking with my peers, ER compared to the other modules in term two, DM and NB, I think was a really good transition and a good starting point because I wouldn't say that it was easy by any means, but I think the common denominator is that everybody enjoyed ER, even though it is a pretty short and quick module. Um, it is uh, definitely like something that everybody was able to grasp regardless of what your strengths are um, and pretty, you know, like coherent. Whereas a lot of people, um, have their strengths and weaknesses when it comes to DMNB. Um, and I feel like everybody kind of mutually agreed that ER was a pretty solid module. And so I feel like it was a great way like to start the term at least. Um, and also I personally think it's a great way to kind of, you know, start off strong that way, if maybe you do struggle in later term um, modules, then, you know, you have that foundation already. Yeah, I agree with everything you guys said. Um, the nice thing about, <clears throat> excuse me, term one is that you are getting kind of like this very broad, perspective on all these subjects like histology physiology biochemistry and then you start to see a lot of the things get put together very nicely starting term two where like in the beginning of term one um, we just did a term one episode and the one thing that we were able to highlight was that when you're going through the sgu lectures and you're using external resources like first aid for example you tend to notice that there's a lot of information that tends to be left out but sgu is doing that with an intent so they'll sprinkle in like G6PD deficiency, and then you're going to literally see it get mentioned almost every term and on majority of all the modules, but they're just adding more and more and more information to it. So it's almost like we can use an analogy of, hey, let's build a house. Here's everything you need to know. You're going to feel overwhelmed. Rather, let's do it little by little. Like, okay, this is the foundation of the house. These are the pillars of the house. Mm. This is the tools you need for the house. And then eventually it's us students I have to take the responsibility of taking those pieces and putting it together and finally painting that picture. And I think when you start to do that, and you guys experience that throughout MS1, is that now you kind of have an idea of the expectations that SGU wants from us as students, where they're giving us the tools that are necessary for us to start wrapping our mind around the perspective of what it's like to be a clinician and being able to dissect vignettes and clinical cases of what it's actually going on and how we can help a patient out and all that stuff would just later on translate into an actual clinical scenario and you're going to start to really see that transpire in term four term five which is like more of like the clinical sciences um so er i agree was definitely a module that is a nice icebreaker to start term two now uh, DM, which is the digestive and metabolism module. That one was personally my favorite, especially the metabolism se section of it, because all the pathways that came at us came at us super fast. But I loved how Dr. Yupata organized it. Yeah. She was my favorite. She's one of my favorite professors at SGU. The way that she organized all the pathways was very, was very, was really nice. And uh, like, it was really enjoyable. I think DM is the first module that SGU students experience what a long block feels like. What normally a block is like three weeks long, but DM was what, four or five weeks long? Or, and it's, yeah, and it tends to become like that in come term four, where you're going to have these long blocks as well. So I know that students, and I remember myself, I tended to get a little, not burnt out, but I started to get a little like 
fatigued where I need to really start prioritizing yeah. my my physical and like my, my mental health so I don't so I don't fall back. But DM, so what was your experience like in DM with all the pathways and yeah. I guess conceptualizing everything because now yeah. we're like going into deep, deep systems yeah. and we're learning all these different yeah. disciplines like the anatomies and stuff. Uh, what was your experience like in DM transitioning out of ER? I will say that I kind of have, um, like the, for me, it's a little bit different from everybody else because I saw DM twice. Um, I took a leave of absence during term two the first time due to personal reasons. So I will say that I can also speak about like, you know, preparation, like time input in terms of DM and like what it was like each time. First time, um, I obviously not going to go into like personal matters, but my life was just absolute chaos for simple terms. Um, the first time I did DM and I ended up taking my leave of absence shortly after that. So at that point in time, I mean, I was putting as much work in as I could, but due to the things that I was experiencing, I was not able to invest nearly, not even a fraction of the time that it needed. And to be quite frank, I truthfully thought that like, I I mean, it was just the most overwhelming academic experience I had, but it was also like, I mean, situational. It was like totally because of my situation. So going into DM the second time, I was absolutely terrified. Like I was freaking out. And then I still won't say like DM is my favorite. It was definitely like still like, I mean, I got... It's actually funny because um, biochem is the only class I ever got like a perfect score in in college. So it's kind of ironic that like it's not my favorite thing in uh, med school. Uh, And I think it's more so because it has to go with like the speed and the amount of content. But uh, doing it the second time and actually having, you know, like the setting of where you're actually on the island and you're here to be a student only. And that's my only responsibility. And I was able to put in the time, use the resources that were available to me. Uh, DM the second time around, honestly, it was really enjoyable. Like I said, it was definitely overwhelming, but I just leaned, I used uh, a lot of external videos more so because I, she's my favorite professor too. And so I, and I love her to death. And I like, honestly, going into that test, I was just, even the first time when I took it and didn't do well on my first try, I was like, I don't want to disappoint her. She's like such a sweet lady, you know? And like, that was honestly probably the first time I took it. I was just like, everything was so crazy in my life. I'm like, that was my motivation trying to get on that test. I was like, I don't want to disappoint the faculty. But um, this time going around the second time, I like went into it feeling pretty good and honestly, like walked out. I'm like, you know, like it's crazy how many more things and like even like the connections the second time around I understand this or rather than memorizing it you just like start to realize like there's different cofactors that are in different pathways and like you know like you have to know like the different pathways that those are involved in those are memorization things but then you start to actually understand it beyond memorizing it and I just felt better the second time so I think as long as you figure out what works best for you external resources I, I used some YouTube videos um just drew the pathways out as much as I possibly could and like they keep they, they'll tell you from day one make a path a map of pathways and just keep adding them together and so you can see like where they all come together as you go because if you try doing it at the end of the module before the exam it's just going to be so overwhelming even if you were listening attentively each lecture the best way to do it is to do a pathway map on your own and just each day add to it and then redraw it after that lecture you know add the pathway that they covered and then redraw the whole thing that you've gotten to at that point and i think that's probably the best advice i can give Shout out Dr. Upadia, like overwhelmingly the best SQU professor <laughs> that people always rave about and I, I wholeheartedly like vibe with that. Like, I don't want to fail because Dr. Yupati, yeah. like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, Smiley 2020 forever. Or I guess she changes it every year, so it won't be Smiley 2020, but you know. Just make the Billy she'll wear her yellow dress and it just makes me so happy. <laughs> She's awesome. Those clicker IDs though are always motivating as well. I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right, Smiley, Smiley 2021 or 2022. Yeah. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Yeah. Um, Amber, everything you said 
I honestly could not agree more. For me, DM was um, a kind of um, introspective uh, time for me. Well, after DM, because I didn't quite understand why I got the score that I got. I did not do well um, on DM. And I was confused because I had this uh, baseline study habit that most people have, which is you spend, you know, about a couple hours on post reading each lecture after class every day. And if you could, you pre-read that, that was my baseline. I would tweak it here and there, use different resources, switch to note cards sometimes, but that was what I did. And I did that. I was very, very diligent about that during DM because it was a long module. I did not want to slip behind. And, um, I, you know, took the exam, felt decently about it, but my score did not reflect that. I got a 70. I'm pretty open about my grades. I think I got a 70 or a 72, something like that, a low C or a D, I guess. And um, it uh, opened my eyes to the fact that study habits that worked in term one or even study habits that worked in ER, they are not going to work. They're not just a standard thing that will work across the board, especially once you start, you know, um, you're going to these small groups, these intensive small groups where you have to diligently prepare on material that is going to be tested, like everything kind of shifts. So um, that was honestly a blessing in disguise because I would have, you know, rather taken that hit than NB where you have a series module. So if you, you know, you're not set up right for NB1, then you're not, you know, it's difficult to continue. Um, so um, that was my experience. And I think a lot of my friends shared that experience. And like I said, it is a blessing in disguise. And um, I always try to find the silver lining in, in med school and any aspect of it, because it is a very difficult time. And uh, you know, being out here on the island, I think it's uh, almost, you know, it, it's more difficult because we're adjusting twice, you know, simultaneously. We're adjusting to this lifestyle and we're adjusting to med school. And those are vi two very difficult adjustments, you know, to make. So um, I don't if I say anything on here that might sound negative or anything like that, I that is not my intention. I just want to be honest, but also keep you know, um, an optimistic mindset. No, of course. And, and, and we, and I, and I appreciate the authenticity because, uh, and so, sorry, I'll, I'll see what I have to say, but Amber, you can go ahead. What were you going to say? The last thing I just wanted to add, like before I forget, and this is just really quick note is that DM obviously is very biochem heavy, but one thing I want to emphasize, which was a mistake I made the first time around for me, it was don't like, obviously it's really easy to just like focus on the biochem and consume yourself in that, because that kind of is like, you know, like the, the theme of the module don't, ignore the anatomy and everything because it's equally as important and there's a very large quantity of those questions on the exam and honestly studying both like making sure that you have a full coverage of everything will make you understand the biochem more i think it really does tie together so that's that's the only thing i wanted to add let me just follow up really quick because the anatomy part that you brought up Amberly, is um very heavily tested also in like your step material so you're going to see this in term five and then especially when you do step prep they focus a lot more on the anatomy of the DM module than they do the biochem aspect. So just a little nugget of information for us to come. Yeah, I agree. And what I wanted to mention before was that I appreciate 
that you mentioned your experience because you know medical school is not all sunshines and rainbows like students who have uh, different experiences and how i like to capture those experiences is by saying that there's a learning curve everybody has a different learning curve and you learn to i guess hone in on what works for you at, at different points in medical school and um one of the biggest advice that i give people is to never just get complacent don't fall into complacency you know success in medical school there isn't instant gratification it takes time you know so our wins are the exams it's and that's it and will and no one would ever understand what the grind and the stress that comes with it in medical school is unless you're a medical student currently going through the grind itself and so of course you know outside support excuse me from like family and friends is nice but like we get those wins and we feel those victories after an exam and you put in all the work for an exam and no one can sit there and judge you for saying that you didn't study you didn't do this because you put in the work that you were capable of putting in and then if your exam score comes out and it's not what you had anticipated you have a oh shit moment you know and it's those moments that i think can go both ways so for example i had not a mental breakdown but I was consistently scoring in this ballpark that I was hoping for since MSK. FTM was my worst experience in medical school. FTM, I was scoring in the low 70s. MSK, I was surprisingly shocked by a score that I got. And then from that moment forward, I was consistently staying in that score and that range of, of that score. And come term two, that moment of, oh shit, didn't hit me till NB, my first NB exam, where my exam didn't, my, my exam score didn't drop dramatically, but it fell outside of that ballpark range that I was comfortably sitting in. And I got complacent and complacency will legit destroy you. And I think that can happen to anybody in any career. And how I like to get out of that complacency is just always doing some type of self-reflecting and even if you score a 98 or a 99 or even a hundred on exam, having that moment of a self-reflection, like what can I do to get better? Okay. Okay. Of course, scoring between a 95 to a hundred on every exam is nice, but how can you get better? You know, what can, what can improve? Um, so even at that ballpark, you should always look for ways to improve in any aspect of how you approach studying the same way someone who scores a 70 on exam would have to do some self-reflection. But the thing is, self-reflection is hard. It's, it's easier said than done. Like, how do you actually self-reflect? How do you dissect your routine and see where there's some loose screws that you can tighten up? So when you start doing it early on from the get, even if you do extremely well, I think you start to learn more about yourself as a student. And the more you learn about yourself as a student is the more you expose the type of clinician you're going to be. So if all of us were sitting in a hospital floor and we get presented a case that's challenging and we don't have the current research to figure out how we can help this patient, um, that those, the skill of being able to self-reflect on what your strengths and weaknesses are is how you can better help that patient. So I know where I'm weak, where I can help, I can have some of my friends help me out using their strengths to supplement my weaknesses. And that's, I guess, the beauty and the silver lining in medical school is that sometimes you need to take an L to learn a lot more about yourself. And I also noticed that in term two, a lot of my friends would have those moments. And I always told them like, listen, be happy it happened to you now, rather than in term four or in term five or during step or during clinicals. 
you'd rather have this oh shit moment happen to you now than like later on where it's more detrimental. So if anything, take it as a blessing. Like you said, it is a blessing. It's a wake up call that there are some things that you can do to improve. And when you challenge yourself to improve, it's only going to make you a better clinician. So once you get yourself out of that rabbit hole, of course, feel your emotions, feel the upsetness of it. Like, okay, yeah, this sucked. I shouldn't have gotten that score. Allow yourself to feel those emotions, but then being able to pick yourself back up and then get right back into it, I think is, is a beautiful experience. Uh, so yeah, so DM was definitely a wake-up call for a lot of people. Um, NB, neurosciences and behavioral science, neuroscience and behavioral science or nervous system and behavioral science I think it's more of the scary block in term too, because now you're also going to be learning where you're going to have to, they start sprinkling in the BSEE, the basic sciences uh, cumulative exam. And that exam can be a little scary for a lot of students because what is it? It's a cumulative exam of all of ads one. So what was your transition now going into NB? And of course, like you mentioned before, each module had, each module is a different beast. How you study for ER, it's not how you're going to study for DM. And of course, how you study for DM is not going to be how you studied for MB. So going into MB1, you meet Dr. Um, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm forgetting his name. Uh, the, the husband and the wife. Kirkby. Who, oh, oh, Kirkby. Kirkby. The Kirkby. Yeah. You meet Dr. Kirkby. You know, what, 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 was that, uh, what was that transition like going from DM right into MB? Well, for me, DM, I have always loved it. Honestly, I thought it was actually really fun. Um, even though it was biochem heavy, I am interested in GI. So I loved that. Um, so DM was more uh, whiteboarding. You're rewriting those pathways a million times. I had a huge whiteboard, um, doing maybe some flashcards, but mainly just rewriting everything a million times. NB, um, it was just sticking to what they give you. I was always just rereading the lectures, um, also whiteboarding when I could, the practice questions. I just stuck to what the school tells you to do because I know there's um, a lot of outside sources. And I know a lot of people like to use different outside sources, like maybe an engineer I would occasionally use just to explain something a little better or just to show some images because I'm a very visual person. But um, I would just... Uh, keep to my same study schedule and just uh, reread everything, rewrite everything. And it helped a lot. I feel like a lot of what I was doing too, like whiteboarding became my biggest asset in the MB module. And if you even look at my notebooks and my handwriting, you would say this kid should never touch a a marker and a whiteboard in his entire life. (laughs) But it helps, you know, I think when it comes to MB and, and marking those pathways, and trying to orient the anatomy and make it make sense for the pathology, that was my biggest tool. And that's something that I like to recommend to people. And something that Gigi said that actually reminded me of my own experience, the outside resources became the strongest for me in the MB module, because for the first time I was watching Ninja Nerd or maybe going to Boards and Beyond and seeing, well, how else are people teaching this information? But at the end of the day, and we said, we talked about this for our term one, and I think even our other term reviews, uh, the SGU slides of material at the very end of the day is, is the golden resource. I would know that at the back of my hand. That's my number one advice for everyone coming to SGU, even for an MB module where you're getting thrown a lot of information on these slides. Just try your best to know it because that's where your material is coming from. So that's all I needed to say there. Um, and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um... Uh, I remember now that you guys are mentioning it during DM, 
So I was for MS1, I was online. I was on uh, Zoom University. I wasn't on campus. And for me, the pathways, uh, something about like sitting there drawing the pathways out and then making them all connect. I remember using like a black marker on this little whiteboard that I had on my desk to draw all the pathways. And then I would use a red marker to draw like the, the, uh, the points where things start to connect, where the rate limiting step points are at. And then I will turn the rate limiting steps into like flashcards. Like, all right, this is probably something that I shouldn't forget because it'll probably be highly tested. But I didn't actually start really utilizing external resources heavily until DM, which helped a lot in NB. Like Ninja Nerd, when you guys mentioned it, it gave me a massive flashback mm-hmm. and it made me feel super nostalgic because I'm like, dude, I remember watching Ninja Nerd for all the embryology lectures because embryology comes at you so hard and fast. And the vocabulary of it is, is, is kind of a nuisance because it's like, damn, I don't really, I, it's kind of hard to grasp sometimes. And then come exam time, you're only going to get what, like one or two questions on it. It's quite annoying. <laughs> when it comes to embryo, I always just do the grace questions. And I always try to do the grace questions at least twice. I remember MSK when we first got underneath grace, I thought grace, the grace book was like the worst thing that had ever happened to me. And then like... <laughs> And be, or even ER, like term two, I'm like, this book is the holy grail of anatomy and embryo questions because like they ask you so many things and it seems so repetitive and it is, and it's very repetitive. It'll be like one question will be like, oh, like it'll be asking you like, here's like what happened that went wrong. Like what's the outcome? Like what's like the clinical outcome? And then the next question, it'll be asking the exact same about the exact same thing. But in the vignette, it'll be like, this is a clinical outcome. Like what was the malformation? And I'm like, yeah, this is repetitive, but guess what? Now I'm gonna, not going to forget it and I'm going to know it twice. And I personally annotate the right and wrong answers since Grace is annotated, you know, the answers. And then truthfully, it's the only studying I ever did for embryo. Like obviously, of course, like the slides, but listen, Grace became my holy grail for embryo and um, and anatomy. But for NB, I would say that um, I was scared. Like NB, I mean, I didn't do like, I, I was actually, I surprised. Well, okay, I take it back. So I was worried about the NB exam. About three days before the test, I was kind of like having my oh shit moments. And then, oh my bad, I should have beaded that. Um, But then the exam came, going into the exam, I was feeling pretty good, you know, actually better than I expected walking in there. I'm like, oh no, I've got this, I'm good, I'm good. And mind you, I took the NB exam last time. Um, and this, like, the last, I took my leave of absence the day after the NB1 exam. Um, and so, like, I just didn't even, like, compare my experience to the previous one. But, of course, I had some, like, recollection of, like, you know, what it looked like and, like, you know, what, what my experience was. So... I will say, I think there was a pretty mutual consensus with most of my friends. When we walked out of that test, we were just like, what the hell is that? You know, and like, even like the people who, like many of my friends who are in IEA and were scoring in the 90 and above ballpark were like, I, I, and I'll never, like somebody, has, I've spent one person in mind who was like, I'm going to be glad if I pass. And I said, well, I'm not sure what that means for me. So I'm going to go to BBC and enjoy my day. And so, um, <laughs> and so like I was, I was worried and it ended up being better than I expected, but I was worried. My biggest concern going into the NB module and for the first exam is that I knew it's going to come back. And especially like, not only like in terms of the concepts building on each other, but cumulative questions, there are things in the NB module that become like those like profound cumulative exam questions that you're always going to see like in BSCE, like ACL, PCL, that white blood cell picture that everybody knows about, you know, like there's just certain things that you know are going to come back. So I was just like, 
by the time I got to NB2, preparing for that exam, I'm like, oh my goodness, I need to go back over the tracks, you know, like where they are, like what their locations are. And because I was just afraid that that was what's going to bite me because I knew NB2, like the back of my hand, but, you know, like trying to like make sure that you're like retaining those like other little details that are obviously like foundation, like the foundational concepts of the content are going to be coming back in NB2, but like maybe like the exact location or like, you know, like a tidbit of information that could be a cumulative question. So I think the most important thing to do is just making sure that like for NB1 and NB2, to mb3 is obviously more psych so i would say from nb1 nb2 particularly to make sure that when you're reviewing it's going to benefit you the most if you're making sure you're understanding the material by making connections between your foundational knowledge from nb1 because not only is it going to help you understand it but it's also going to help you maintain the memory of those uh that information for the cumulative questions because bsce loves neuro <laughs> i have a quick yeah, question that might seem a little random in the yeah. past, they used to switch MB1 and 2. Do you think that would have been beneficial if they kept it that way, if you did MB2 first and then MB1? What are your guys' thoughts on that? That was like right before my term is when they made that switch happen. Well, it's, well you I, know what? You're right. You're right. Because I remember, uh, so since you're a term ahead of me, when we started term two, we started MB1 with like, it was the neuroscience, like the basics, basis of neuroscience is like, here's a neuro so. <laughs> and then uh, the behavioral sciences was like the very like, I, I, don't, I don't want to call it, no, let me, let me choose the proper term for this. It was kind of like the soft behavioral sciences lectures where it was just like introducing growth and development, uh, obviously from a psychological standpoint. And then MB2 was more of like the heavy like pathways and stuff. But then I remember when I was looking at review material on Google Drives, everything was flipped. Yeah. Where you guys had like the, uh, all right, so you had the lesser of the beasts um, in MB2 and then you had like the more intensive stuff for MB1. So I think it's a tone. Like having having like the, I guess, the more uh, challenging lectures or challenging concepts presented first set the proper tone of the intensity you need to bring for MB. That makes sense. I will say though, it's funny. I didn't know that that was the case previously. And I remember everybody saying like, wow, I wish I would have done this during NB2. Like when we're in NB2, like I wish I would have done this before, you know, because now it all makes sense. Um so I feel like there's certain things I would have rather been presented first. I feel like it's just all subjective because you're all going to learn. I think Kevin has a good point about the intensity of it. It prepares you for what's coming ahead. And the first week for NB1 is anatomy. So I feel like it makes sense to like know like where these cortex are because you're going to learn about what pathway is relevant. So, I mean, I don't have a huge complaint about them switching. I think it, it's going to be the same. I mean, same storm, but regardless of what path you take through it. All right. So... I have two points that I want to make that you guys discussed that I think are noteworthy. So I'm going to elaborate on my like, oh, snap moment in MB. Um, like, of course, you know, these podcasters, this, this podcast is, is all about being authentic and honest. And so FTM, I scored like low 70s. And then MSK, I think I got like a 98 on the exam. And then moving on to every exam, I was scoring between like a 95 to like a 99. I never got a hundred on exam, but I got complacent in that ballpark. My study habits didn't really change. I was still doing the same thing. And then come and be, um, and of course it's going to sound crazy, but hear me out for a second. So I'm comfortable sitting between like a 95 to a 99, a majority of my exams on all the exams from MSK moving on. And then MB, I scored, I think an 88 or an 87. And of course, that's still a really good score. It's still a passing score. But like I mentioned before, there's a learning, there's a learning curve and the intensity that students bring to how they prepare for exams 
um, is very subjective for everybody. So when I saw that number, I was like, I did something wrong. You know, of course, it's still a passing score. I was still happy with my score, but I did some self-reflection. I was like, I did something wrong because this is not my performance. I'm not used to this. And it hit me hard. It, and it hit me the same way that it would hit someone who scored, I guess, like a 50. You know, it's like you clearly you clearly did something wrong. Um, and it was really hard for me to, I guess, cope with it because people who I would talk to about it and be like, yeah, you know, oh, so how'd you do on your exam? And I'm usually not the type of student that would just bluntly say, this is what I scored. I would just say, oh, I did well. I did well. I did well. Because you never know who you're talking to. You know, like if I were to just tell someone, like, oh, yeah, I got a 98 on my exam. But that person usually always sits between like a 70 or or an 80. You know, like you, you just don't really know how that would affect them. And I personally am a firm believer in like just keeping it, um, I guess, to yourself and just saying like, yeah, you know, you do. You did well. You did well. You did well. So that it doesn't you, you never know who you're talking to. And so when I spoke to people about it. And they're like, yeah, you know, I, I thought I did well, but I didn't do as well as I would have hoped. Something, something went wrong. Um, people were like, oh, bro, but you got an 88. You, you passed. That's really good. I'm like, yeah, but I don't think you understand where I'm coming from. Like, I clearly, clearly something went wrong. And I don't, and I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that I needed to evolve. I needed to start changing my routine and, and how, like, I needed to start challenging myself. Like, okay, so every module is different. I need to approach it differently. Whereas before I was treating every module the same. Like I, I, I did what I did in MSK and the same thing I did in MSK. I didn't CPR, I didn't ER, I didn't DM and then come NB. It was like, oh no, 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 no. I got to do something different. So for me, when I had that moment is when I started to start changing how I started studying so that um, I don't see a score like that again. And I can, you know, because once you start to see what you're capable of and you know what you're capable of, then when you don't reach that expectation that you set for yourself, it's going to hit you hard. Same way. Like if you were to use the analogy of like, you run a mile and you can run a mile in less than five minutes. And then you run a mile in seven minutes to anybody. Oh, a seven minute mile. It's still phenomenal, but you know that you can run a mile in under five minutes. Yeah. So what, what happened that there was an added two minutes to your mile, you know? So, and I don't know if that mentality comes from just like me playing sports my whole life where you know what you can do on the field. You now you know what you can do as a student, and you didn't perform that well. It's like what happened, you know. So you have to have some type of self reflection, and that brings me to my next point: grades. Grades became my bible in MS One. I so like at the beginning of the module, they give you the list of all the questions they recommend that you do, and how I started to utilize grades and NB was I would, um, I became like a bit of like a psychopath. <laughs> And MB, I would like take all the lectures and just start grouping them. All right. So we have the biochemistry lectures. We have the anatomy lectures. We have the physiology lectures and we have the histo lectures and the embryo lectures. I'm going to take all these lectures and I'm going to group them by subject. And rather than me following the academic calendar that SGU gives us per lecture, like, okay, so today we're doing biochemistry, we're doing histology. I started following my own calendar. So I saw, okay, so this module is what, three weeks long? These are all the lectures they want us to cover. I'm going to cover each lecture based by subject. So I'm not going to be on the same trajectory that most students are on. So whenever people ask me a question about like histology, I would always just say like, oh, I'm not there yet. I'm still doing biochemistry. I'm mastering biochemistry before I move on into histology. And that worked for me. And of course, it's subjective. It might not work for other people. Uh, but grades became my Bible where I would use it for anatomy specifically. And I, 
I noticed that anatomy was a difficult subject for a lot of students, and it was difficult for me as well. And what helped me is with grades, because what I would do is I'm like, okay, so we're doing, so I'll use MSK, for example. So MSK, we had upper limb, we had back, we had thorax, lower limbs, the pelvis. So what I would do is I would like segregate all the questions per body part of the anatomy. And then I would say, okay, I'm going to do upper limb questions today, but I'm not going to do all the upper limb questions. I'm only going to do 10. And then I would try to map it out where by the time I'm done with the module, I have covered all the questions. So rather than doing 50 or 100 questions in one day and calling it a day, I would do 10 questions a day. And then I would make sure that those 10 questions were fully, fully dissected, that I fully understand each question and all the option choices. And doing that little by little by little, I've come to notice that the anatomy just started to click and it gave me the opportunity to make connections that I guess SG would expect you to make, like how we discussed earlier on in the episode where they want you to do in term one, like making all the connections. Um, so MB1 really changed my approach and the anatomy was, I think, what hit me the hardest because I think those are the questions that I missed the most. And it wasn't until I started realizing that like, I need to start utilizing grades a little bit better. And um, I think that's noteworthy because like, especially for MS1, anatomy tends to be like the icebreaker or the make it or break it for a lot of students. So Gray's SGU does, I think does a phenomenal job in saying, hey, here's this external resource that we want you guys to use. And here's a list of questions that we want you guys to do, um, do them. But I would recommend, and of course you can take it subjectively, is rather than doing all of them at once, do them little by little and try to map each question because the anatomy doesn't change. You know, the human body hasn't changed in thousands of years. It's not gonna change in the next couple of days. So if you just do each question little by little and master it, and allow your brain to make a connection of the anastomosis and like the lymphatic drainage and stuff, then I think it'll be a better experience that you would have, especially come exam day. Um, but MB, I, I, it was it was a scary module. I mean, I remember I went to uh, Dr. Mandolini's office hour and I will never forget when he said this. He gave us a super hard question on like the pathways, the spinal thalamic tracts and all that stuff. And he he was like, all right, guys, listen. And this might not be word for word, but he said something along the lines like this. I know this is a hard question. I know the concept is hard, but I'm making the hard, I'm making the question hard so you can understand it. I immediately logged off the office hour. I was like, this is not like, <laughs> like what, what do you mean? Like, I know the concept is hard, but can you at least like hold my hand a little bit and walk me through it and like show me how to answer it, you know? Uh, so, okay, so I really want to talk about MB now because I think that's the, the module that really gets people going. Um, so MB2, you have to remind me, what, what, was, what was the stuff that you covered in MB2? Well, MB2 is you kind of like start off like, you know, like you're going to go into the cranial nervous is the main thing in MB2. Mm-hmm. And then um, you're going to go, of course, like reinforce like the connections between the cranial nerves and the tracks that they're associated with, you know, and then from there and like the last like five days of NB2 is like intro to NB3. So it's like, you know, more of this, like the soft, like, like you said, the the behavioral aspect of it. So uh, cranial, I'd say sum it up cranial nerves. <laughs> yes. And also NB2 is a lot of um, integrative uh, neuroscience. So they're bringing in pieces from NB1 and, um, for example, like uh, PICA, I'm sure you'll remember, and ICA, um, <laughs> those were very heavily tested. So um, things like that, where you definitely have to have a pretty firm um, 
grasp on the NB1 material. So um, I know earlier you guys talked about the order in which um, NB was all laid out. And um, this is my theory, and this is what I like to think, that um, SGE purposefully moved them around so that we have NB3 at the end, um, which is when we're also supposed to be preparing for BSCE, if you choose to prepare. I personally did not choose to prepare. And, um, you know, everybody does their own thing. But anyway, um, so I like the order now because NB3, you know, I would say I speak for the majority of people when I say that psychiatry, I think because it's so interesting, it comes um, more, maybe more easily to people. And I'm actually interested in pursuing psychiatry. So I don't find that offensive at all, but um, some people are scared to say it, <laughs> but I think psychiatry just is um comes more naturally. It's very interesting to people. And so they, you have that, you know, your very last module. And if you are um, studying for BSCE, it's not, you know, you're not overwhelmed. Um, and then the second thing um, I wanted to say about NB, um, particularly NB1, I think, no, it was NB2. But NB2, um, I am not a fan of embryo like most people, but um, with NB2, if you know your pharyngeal pouches and grooves, you basically have a mental cheat sheet for, I would say, 60% of the exam, which is on cranial nerves. So if you know what the second pharyngeal pouch, you know, what um, the derivatives of it are, you know, what nerves, then, you know, when you're, when they give you an x-ray and they say, you know, there was damage to this part of the face, what nerve am I pointing at? Or what nerve is the arrow pointing at? You know, you know, oh, that's probably somewhere along the mandibular, inferior alveolar, that second, you know, you just narrow it down. So that embryo do not skip out on. That is my biggest suggestion. It is a, it's a, it's a gift, honestly, for NB. And um, it's something that because I, retained it so well I still remember it and I'm excited about that it's one thing down um, and also about, oh, go ahead yeah but what Kevin was saying you know um neuro or yeah neuro particularly the anatomy part of it is difficult was difficult for me but it was not in my opinion any more challenging than any of the other NB was not any more challenging than any of the other modules for me. That's my personal experience. And I say that because a lot of us go to the upper class or, you know, the um, year two students to ask about, you know, what do you remember about this? How was this test? And um, generally people I felt like were overly uh, worried about NB just because of that hadn't even like it this was before it even you know started people would say like oh my gosh I heard next module is horrible and I think for one you know it's already having that as your um you know even if it's just a subconscious thought having that there is not the best way to enter the term and I know among us it's fine because we've already done it so it's whatever but um and then the second thing is you will surprise yourself with what you're good at I ended up doing better in all of the NBs, particularly NB1, than in any other exam in term two. And so 
I surprised myself, but I really just put in the work, did what I had to do. You know, if you put in the work, you'll be fine. You don't need to listen to what people say. It's either, it can push you the wrong way. People told me DM was really easy. That was my lowest test score. Didn't change anything about study habits then. So, you know, that is my advice. And um, yeah, it's, it's so important because it's just like relevant to all aspects of life. You know, you don't want, you don't want comparisons. You don't want to um, customize your way of studying for somebody else. You know, I personally do not like Anki. I don't know why people like it. <laughs> Thank you. Someone who agrees with me. <laughs> Straight in the heart. Straight in the heart. <laughs> Quinn loves Anki. No, listen, I, I do flashcards, but I, I make my own flashcards a different way. I don't use Anki. Kevin's I don't like the... Yeah. blows my mind. I've seen Kevin's system and it fascinates me, but I feel like my OCD would make me like spend more time organizing it in his system. I just wish I could just take Kevin's system that he has because it's so <laughs> useful. What is that thing called to me? <laughs> Uh, I use a, it's called Remno. It's like if yeah. Notion and Anki had a baby. Yeah. yeah, it's, crazy. yeah it's the best. I love it. I love it. Uh, for, cause, so I'm, I'm not OCD, but you're right. Like the way that I organize my notes, cause for me, I'm a visual learner and I need to know where my salt and pepper is. And I need to know where my cans of beans are for me to be able to, I guess, understand what I'm even trying to cook in the kitchen. It's the same thing with school. Like I need to know what lectures I'm dealing with, what subjects they are. That way I can know what I have to study. Whereas like with Anki, no offense, Quinn. <laughs> I, for, for me, like if I make my own flashcards on Anki, everything gets chopped up and convoluted and everything just gets thrown around. So on Remno, what I can do is like, I can make my flashcards by subject. So now that I'm in turn five and we're starting uh, psychiatry and nervous system all over again, like I have my psychiatry flashcards and I have my nervous system flashcards. So I just do things like separately. And I'm sure you can do the same thing on Anki, but for Remno, it's just, it's just a little prettier. Yeah. <laughs> you can't do the same thing on Anki. Anki's still the greatest. <laughs> yeah. I'm not a big fan of Anki either, but there's some pre-made ones for anybody that wants to try them or, you know, likes them. I know there's some pre-made ones for SGU. Uh, Cause I feel like you just don't have the time to make them. And if you do, you're just, um, you were made in a laboratory. Like That's I feel like it's hard. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to make those thousands of Anki. So I tried using them, but it's kind of like, you know, I feel like you learn more when you make them. So I just kind of gave up on that, but. Oh, that's what I see. I can't type yeah. that fast. My one key's broken, so I just had to throw the ID in the trash because every other <laughs> one and you never got it fixed, huh? Kevin, whatever you did didn't work, but anyway, <laughs> I tried to fix it. Apple couldn't even fix it. This is beside the point. We'll circle back to that one later on when I talk to you later. But anyways, um, the segues are cool. Anyway, um, the whole thing about Anki for me is like, I, I was actually talking to a learning strategist about this um, because I was saying how I think Anki, I, I mean, I've tried, I even bought the $20 remote because I thought it would work. I was like, if I buy something for Anki, maybe that'll make me really want to use it. You know? And I'm like, oh, there's there goes 20 bucks. Maybe I should sell that to somebody. But the whole thing about it was that I was like, okay, if I I feel like if I make my own decks, like that will be more useful because for me, like I'm very similar to what Kevin was saying. Like I need the context of it. And it's not that like, I mean, for sure, like brute facts and brute memorization, maybe for like 
memorizing that like if i'm just trying to get simply down like what cranial nerve is what number like sure of course anki works for that but like obviously our information goes so it transcends so far beyond that that like if i'm trying to see a card and i don't know what context this card's coming from that's my issue with pre-made decks but i i think everybody should give it a shot and at least try it because you don't know what works for you and I, honestly maybe each module give it a shot because it's going to change up like we keep saying but for me i need to know what the context is otherwise like I'm like, okay, cool. Like I memorized this flashcard and I know what that is, but I don't even know what the word or the context of the, like the sentence was, you know? And then so I'm like, mm, yeah. cards, if I make my own cards, if my one key worked, if I made my own cards, then I know what the context of the slide was because I made it myself. But but I just but talked to a uh, strategist and she said that could be passive for a lot of people. So I feel like if you can find a way to, you know, do the constant recall and use like something, like, do some sort of, um habit that Anki reinforces but do it in a way that puts the information in the context of what like you know you're learning like doing the decks individually um it'll help you more if anything like a quick resource plug for uh something that uh hannah brought up that i want to forget about there was a really good words and beyond mnemonic that i think a lot of mb students should look at it's called the four m's it saved my life in turn five. I wish I knew it in turn two. So for anyone going into turn two who happens to hear this, the four M's, his mnemonic for it, it breaks down uh, certain cranial nerves, arteries associated with it, its location in the brain to the brainstem. Please, you know, save yourself the hours. Yeah, it's like a really cool picture. Yeah, definitely. I'm going to look for it too. If only our podcast was visual, you guys can see the, it's like literally one picture and then he has associated text and it's everything you need to know about the cranial nerves and the vasculature of the brainstem. And God, it would have saved me like days of studying. Oh yeah. If anything, what I was, huh? I was just going to say, if you, if someone finds it, please send that to me. <laughs> oh yeah. I was going to say, if anything, um, so when I, and this is why I, I one of the factors why I am on campus is that like when I go to lecture, I use those two hours for like legit peace and like tranquility of just being able to study with uninterrupted like I guess distractions. And when I do my flashcards at a particular time of the day, so for me during term four and like term three and term four, it was doing all my flashcards between eight a.m. and ten a.m. and I noticed that doing it every day at that particular time, it felt like I was going to the gym every day at 7 a.m. in the morning or 6 a.m. in the morning. So the brain is obviously also a muscle. And if you do flashcards, even if it's like 50 or 100 flashcards a day, you're training your brain to get better at recalling information. So that's what I tell people now who ask me, hey, what do you think about flashcards? The first thing I say is, well, flashcards, if anything, Number one, it's training your brain to just be better at recalling information so that eventually down the line. So for, in my my experience with flashcards is that at the very beginning of a module, I type out my lecture notes in a manner that makes sense to me. And then I turn my lecture notes into flashcards. But I end up having like four or 500 flashcards very early on, which is obviously overwhelming. But then I tend to notice that towards the end of the module, I go from like having 500 flashcards to having only about 100 or like 150, because as I go through each flashcard, I'm making connections and then adding that, those connections onto that flashcard itself. And that's what Remno allows me to do. So it, it, I'm, I'm forming like a thinking trail that eventually I make so many connections that I can tell you a story. So if you're asking me a question about a cranial nerve, I can tell you that it, one plus one equals two, or I can give you the story. And I think that's what doing flashcards allows me 
give you the ability to be able to do that. So like, do you just want what, do you just want what's one plus one or do you want the full story? So like, I think people who do way too much Anki, who do way too many flashcards and only rely on flashcards, they're going to be really good at telling you what's one plus one. But what do you want to understand algebra? Can you tell me about algebra? Can you have a conversation about algebra? They probably could, but they're going to probably have a lot of uh, misconnections in there somewhere. And of course, that's subjective. Maybe they're really good at it. Who knows? But for me, that's, that's just like my personal take on it is that if you do flashcards every day, even if it's just like 50, um, you're just training your brain to get better at recalling that eventually you don't really need. And damn, okay. I guess you also learn a little bit about yourself too. Cause like yesterday I was doing uh USMLE RX practice questions for pathology for the nervous system. And there were some questions that I was like, Oh wow, look at that. But I know it now. Like I know myself, I trust myself that I don't need to turn that into a flashcard. So there's a lot of things that you necessarily don't need to turn into flashcards. There's things that you can just trust yourself that you won't forget. So for example, yesterday, the question that I did, there was like a patient that came in with a rash on the lower limb with central clearing. And then they attached a video of him having Bell's palsy. And you were, you had to be able to recognize that he had Bell's palsy. And then the question was like, what was the idiopathogenesis of this patient? The answer was a tick. See, I didn't pick that up. The, the tick bit the patient, transferred Lyme disease. Lyme disease presents as a rash with central clearing. And one of the complications are Bell's palsy. I trust myself enough that I can remember that. I'm not going to turn that into a flashcard. So there's students, I think, in the very beginning, too, that start using flashcards is that they just start making way too many flashcards for things that you just start trusting yourself, start pushing yourself to be able to recall those things. And then you get better at recalling information. Like if you treat the flashcards as if you were to treat yourself going to the gym to work on your physical health, you know, so those are my two cents on that. Um, Definitely don't ignore the flashcards, but use them, you know, use them with a grain of salt for sure. It's a good point. Trust yourself. (laughs) You have to trust yourself because eventually we're going to be on the hospital floors, right? So like, Mm -hmm. you know, know, just imagine the the five of us, we're we're on the hospital floor and we see a patient and the patient comes in with X, Y, and Z symptomology and the attendings like, all right, so what are we going to do? You know, eventually we're the ones who are going to have to sit there and come up with a case uh, plan on how we're going to treat the patient. We have to trust ourselves, even if we don't, you know, understand the full extent of the ideology of the patient eventually we're going to have to make those calls, you know? And it's the same thing. Like, I guess if you use the art analogy of like, you see a really, if I were to see a really like, you know, attractive person and I want to go, you know, be flirtatious and stuff like you just got to trust yourself. At some point you just have to go and do it. You know, it's the same thing with medical school. Like, yeah, the material might be really scary. Like I thought MB was scary, but you have to trust yourself that you can do it and you can learn the material. And if you don't understand it, you have to be able to trust yourself that you have the ability to understand it and not shut yourself down and shut your brain down and make it, you know, like where you're not allowing yourself to absorb information anymore. It's cool because you can see it in every step of the way and also kind of how it like reinforces itself in a circle. So it's like the work you put in will make you more confident and it just like obviously will keep reinforcing itself. You'll see a better performance that make in itself will make you want to do better because you set that expectation. You're going to get better and better. So once again, studying makes you more confident. And then you can see from every step of the way going from, like you said, do I need to make a flashcard for this? No, I'm confident that I know it. Then the next biggest skill, arguably probably one of the most important medical schools, learning to not second guess yourself on exams and change your answer. And then it transcends all the way to clinical practice where, you know, like you just said, like not second guessing yourself when it comes up down to like making a clinical plan. So I think a big part of it too, is just like, you know, like just like it gets hard. It can be defeating. The days are long. The time overall is short, but in the midst of it, just like, don't forget that you're not here by a coincidence and to trust yourself. 
No, of course. And I always tell people when they take exams, it's like, if you feel like changing your answer, if you can't think of three good reasons to change your answer, don't change it. And then when you actually like think about that, like when you're looking at an exam and then you're down to like two option choices and you're like, oh, I don't know. Is it, it's 50, 50. Is it A or is it C? I don't know. If you can't think of three good reasons to change your answer, don't change it. And then when you're thinking like that, you're making the connections in your head that you ought to have already done at some point throughout the learning process. So like you're sitting there and you're starting to recall all these informations and like doing the flashcards, training your brain on how to recall information. That's where it comes. That's where it comes back. You know, we're like, yeah. you're like, oh, I know the information, but I'm drawing a blank. And you start thinking, you're like, okay, that's associated with this. You start recalling the whiteboard that you drew, the path that, that, that you drew. You start recalling some of the flashcards that you did. And then you're like, okay, no, this is my answer and I'm sticking to it. And you move on, you know? And it's those moments that you, that, I think training to be really good for those particular moments boils down to how well you learned about yourself and the type of student you are. Like I trust myself. It's a, you walk out of the exam. It was C. Okay. Who cares? Oh, well, <laughs> at least yeah. you, at least you still know how to think like a clinician, you know? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Before we go into that though, I want to, um, I like something you said, well, one, I guess I is kind of cool because not only did we just give uh, academic advice, but I saw you sneaking some relationship advice to there, Kevin. Like, what is the <laughs> I am the worst but, at giving that type of advice. <laughs> but it makes sense, and, and it's going to be a fun list for everyone. Um, the other thing, too, is when you guys started to talk on the aspect of comparing uh, test experiences, I'm I'm very similar and I, I wholeheartedly believe that your test experience is very sacred to yourself. You know, no matter what you go in and your experience, you should come out and just be proud of what you did, the hours that you put in, uh, and and just come out and just be grateful that, you know, you just accumulated all this knowledge that's going to do great for someone in a clinical setting. So um, what I do on test day is when people ask me during blocks, like, hey, what'd you put here? What'd you do there? You know, at the end, when people rattle off all these questions to you, I just say, I don't know, right? I forgot. I zoned out during the test. I went into some weird zone and whatever grade I get, you know, I tried my best and I'm going to hope for the same. So I just want to make that message clear to a lot of people because uh, I know post-exam, people tend to get more anxiety than going in because of just the, the questions that get asked to you, especially when you are in positions that we tend to be in right now, so. That's so true. Um, me and Alicia are actually the two crazy people that love to talk about exams right after. <laughs> we will for every single one and just compare answers as much as we can. We're those people. Um, and it's good because then we end up learning from each other. We end up remembering. I personally like to know sometimes what I got wrong just so that I can see, okay, that was what the right answer was, even though it kills me a little bit. Um, it's good to to learn it. And um, yeah, and we'll always we see that we should have picked our first answer. Um, we'll always be like, why did I go and change it last minute? Um, so always stick to, to your gut, pick the first one. Yeah. And before we move on, because I know you want to talk about BSCE, I just want to bring back up Anki and in general, external um, resources to study. So I also hate Anki. I can't study with decks that someone else needs. <laughs> I'm also not willing to make my own decks because I don't. I just don't have time for that. So I am an external resource junkie. I probably tried uh, quite a few things out there, like Ninja Nerd. I forgot what other YouTube videos I watch. Board and Beyond, um, USMLE, Med Bootcamp. I use everything. So don't 
be afraid to just, you know, try those resources. I know in turn one, people are telling me don't use too many resources because you're just going to get, you know, overwhelmed. But for me, Anki didn't work. Making flashcards didn't work. Typing things out, it didn't work. So I try these different resources. Then Boards and Beyond will be useful for biochem where USMLE is useful for NB. So that's also, you know, something you should be willing to try out the resources and also practice questions. I would do all of the practice questions that the school gave me, all of the practice questions from the drives. And because I have the subscriptions to like Borders and Beyond USMLE, I'll also do those practice questions. So that's another huge way I study practice questions. You're referring to uh, USMLE RX, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, you're going to love it in term four. You're going to, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> you're going to be obsessed with it in term four. Uh, in term four for me. Now I love it. <laughs> yeah. Especially for uh, pathology in term four, you're going to love it. Because the thing with pathology in term four is that, uh, and to make a point from last time, uh, so you know how they always say like, oh, this module is scary. This one's the hardest one. This is the hardest one. It's it's like that every term. You know, nine, three, you're, like ethics is hard. And then term four, oh, term four is a beast. It's scary. Term five, it's scary. Everything is scary. All the terms are scary. But in term four, pathology, like once you start learning the pathology, the first question I asked myself was like, okay, how is this going to present in a vignette? I have no idea. So then that's where like the practice questions like USMLE, RX, it becomes super helpful, especially for pathology, because as you go through the lectures, they're going to give you like the, the biopsy, the histological features of it. But okay, great. How does it look like in a vignette? How does it look like as an actual option choice? You know, so when you do USMLE RX, I think it's a good way to kind of see how the questions will be written and what your expectations are for the pathology. So doing that early on will save your life in term four. For sure, for sure. I put all my marbles on that. That's exactly why I love it, actually. It gives me just a better understanding of what we're learning. So instead of just going off the lecture notes, I can maybe memorize what I'm seeing, but I don't understand it. So I go to USMLE RX and I do just more practice questions so I can better understand it. Yeah, and then you can paint the story and it's it becomes more mm-hmm. active. And then if you and I were to discuss a particular concept of that module after having done like practice questions and stuff, then we can have a back and forth like, yeah, remember that this also happens. Remember that that also happens rather than it being like, yeah, that's one plus one and it's two, you know? Mm-hmm. Cool. So yeah, so that's right. MB. Uh, MB wraps up nicely, I think, in my opinion. Uh, and then we go on to BSCE, and BSCE, I guess, becomes a little scary because it's like the first cumulative exam that you guys deal with, where you just don't know what's being tested. And my BSCE experience was we had three mod, we had three blocks. So now you guys sit there and you go through like what 150 questions just in, just in a straight shot. Uh, what was your experience like with BSCE? Like your studying habits or I guess your approach for BSCE. Um, when was your BSCE? How many days after your last MB exam? Two. Yeah, two days. Two days. Okay, so you finish MB3, and then you have 48 hours to sit for a cumulative exam that covers all the content that SGU introduced to you between term one and term two. What did you do throughout term two to prepare for an exam like that? Because I know that 48 hours is not realistic. I'm just going to go ahead and get mine out of the way. I was an AP facilitator throughout um, the term, and I pretty much just took being a facilitator very serious. So I just pretty much, I went hard in on making the PowerPoint so I could just remember it and be prepared for BSCE. And towards the end, I would just do the practice questions that the school provided. I think that was the best way for me to prepare. 
Okay. I kind of went the, um, the I took like, I, you know, I didn't really do a thorough prepare for BSCD. I thought about it, but given that, you know, coming back from a leave, I was, you know, wanting to come back strong and I needed to prove to myself that I was capable of doing that on the individual exams. So my, like, I, I, I still don't know if it was the right thing to do. And I did well, so I don't really regret what I did, but my plan going into term two is I'm going to do my absolute best on every exam. That way I can have the buffer for uh, BSCE. And then on BSCE, I'm going to master and be or the term two content because term one, I was online and that's kind of like when like my personal thing started at home. So term one, I didn't really have the best foundation on so going into BSCE. I was just, you know, like, or I was, the quickest review I'd say, which is actually Dr. Trotz told me to do, was to go through all of the ESOF quizzes term from term one and term two. That's kind of what I did. And then, um, you know, just it, it's difficult because you have the lab exam as well and OSPI and then NB3. So you're kind of all over the place those last couple of days. And it's just like you're tired. So for me, I think whatever you do throughout the term, yeah, incorporate and integrate your own study habits. Like if you're a facilitator, I think that if I was a facilitator, that would have been the most ideal thing for me. Like that's, that's, a, I'm very chill. That's an awesome way to prepare for it. But otherwise, like I actually, I what I did was I popped into term one IMCQ sessions with them and I just sit in the back and <laughs> term one IMCQ. Actually, that's what I did. I just jumped into the term Smart. one. And I just yeah. did so that's how I prepared throughout the semester. And when it came down to the end, just did the ESOP quizzes over. And then I said, okay, now or never. And it turned out fine. Let me tell you, my BSC experience was a Hail Mary. I literally, <laughs> I went through term two and I'm like, okay, you know, eventually I'm going to start. And I think for a lot of people, BSC becomes this test that like, eventually you're going to start prepping, right? Because SGU says, if you do a little bit every day, you'll be fine. Um, but for me, my moment in terms of you came during, uh, MB3 when I was like, you know what, maybe I should balance out BSE prep with studying for MB3 and MB3 was like my wake up call. And then, um, when the actual study time, my two days came for BSE, I remember this. If you ask anyone who was with me at this time, we were in upper St. John on the East side and we blocked it off. Like no one was coming in this room. It was just like the 10 of us. And we were just sending like OPLGs to each other, like different DES drives, everything. And we were just going question, questions, questions for pretty much 48 hours straight. And uh, it was a dark time in my life. I remember the <laughs> Cowboys were also doing really bad in the playoffs. So I was just a really sad kid that day. And, uh, and it turned out okay. So, you know, you sat for a little bit and then, you know, you end the term and then you go on to winter break. So you kind of just, you know, take your good and your bad and you move on from there. But the test itself, just to speak on it, um, I think it's intimidating just because the amount of content that you have to cover. But the questions you get, you're surprised with what you know. And I think it's the first time that you take a cumulative exam and you're like, I can handle this level of testing. Like, I can recall information that was given to me months ago, you know, information that was presented at FTM, rather. So uh, just trust what you know. You know, you get to this point in med school because you've done well and you have proven yourself enough to take this test. So just be confident. And I think you score a, a good enough grade just based on confidence alone. That'll actually get you half the way. The other half is lock yourself in a room and, and watch your favorite team lose the playoffs. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, pulled, I pulled my own Hail Mary on that BSE. I didn't study for it at all. I just walked in and took it. Yeah, I didn't study for it at all. That's exactly what I did. Um, I think that my advice to the incoming term twos would be start off as strongly as possible with ER and DM 
because that way I had friends who by the end of the term, they were, you know, depending on their BSCE grade to bring them up or to keep them where they were at. And that is a very difficult position to be in. And even worse, you don't want to be dependent on the curve. You know, everybody talks about this curve and yes, there is a curve, but it is 100% dependent as far as we know on, you know, the distribution of the grades. So you, that's not something you want to depend on. So I would say go in as strongly as possible. You know, everybody takes a fall or two and there's nothing wrong with that at all. You know, everybody's in a different situation. Um, but uh, that is what I wish I had done. Um, unfortunately, you know, DM was a wake up call for me, but ER I did well. So I think it would be best if, you know, we could start off strong that way when BSCE rolls around, we're not too worried about, you know, the grade we're going to get um, and how it will, you know, impact what borderline we're on, you know. Yeah, I agree. I told people that the same to the same and it might not be like the greatest advice, but it's an honest advice, you know, like because I it, it was terrible. Like a few of my closest friends in term two, they were relying on the BSCE to pass the term and the grade that they needed was astronomical i'm like dude i am so sorry i am here to help you with anything that you need uh, but i wish you the best of luck because like what they need to pull on the bse relying on the curve and then on their own ability to just pass a term I, I think that's a very uh scary situation to be in so i think just having a good habit of not cutting corners because obviously shortcut shortcuts come with consequences is just to like start like have good habits early on learn the material that you're supposed to learn the material and then just trust yourself so that even if you do have to pull a Hail Mary, I think your Hail Mary will still be catchable at the end. Great point. Awesome. So to kind of segue away from the academic side of SGU, a lot of people come here and one of their biggest things they think about is what is life on the island like? So what we like to do during these term episodes where we talk about each term. We want to just see what your experience was during your term two. Um, I know you guys are here now and you can give us the honest answer, right? The good, the bad, whatever it is. Um, just so people who tune into this and they don't know what island life is like uh, can kind of get a glimpse through your experience. So do you guys have any significant moments or opinions of what it's like living in Grenada? Sure. I would love to start. Um, I do have a lot to say about this, but the number one thing that I've learned, even just in the past few months that I've been here, um, keeping a positive mindset will make things easier for you and the people around you. I know it's cliche and I know it's annoying and I know that everybody, you know, says that, but it's just, um, it's true. Like it makes things easier because most of us come from either the US or you know Canada and we're used to a very 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 high standard of living and when we you know come to Grenada and um luckily you know a lot of us are well traveled and we have some experience but Grenada is very different from western Europe and the Mediterranean it's um it's different for many reasons but I just, I had a lot of complaints last term and in retrospect, I felt, you know, so guilty for ha having those thoughts because when I went home for winter break, I missed Grenada. 
you know, I miss Grenada. And I think that my biggest blessing is um, the people that I've met here. I've met some wonderful people who I, you know, pray to God that they will stay in my life and, you know, attend my weddings. And they have just resonated with me so much. And I'm so blessed for that. And that is the number one thing that you should um, seek out. Anything else, you know, tell yourself that if they're not worth my time that I could be spending on studying, then I, or it could be a thing or an activity, anything, you know, then probably shift that around. You know, that that's um, my advice and my uh, opinion about, you know, the living here. And also, sorry, one more thing I forgot to say is um, I think that SGU has a very active social life in comparison um, with a lot of medical school, like U.S. medical schools. And that could be for a number of reasons, but um, just be conscious of it because um, it it can definitely get overwhelming, especially if you are not on the same page as most other people. So, for example, if everybody is going out after the Friday after the end, you know, the NB2 exam, but you are somebody who needs to do decently well on the BSCE then even though there's this huge event at Lava Lanes that everybody's going to, you maybe need to step back because for a lot of people going out transpires into like a whole weekend of you're not, you know, you're not doing anything because of the day after and whatever. So um, people just need to be conscious of that. I think um, when you, uh, you know, think about the social life here and apart from that, I am so grateful to be here and I'm so excited about um, the next six months. And uh, I'm so glad to have shared my um, thoughts with you and my opinions. And um, to everybody listening, remember that everyone is different. And what we say does not mean it's correct or it's wrong or anything. This is just, you know, we're talking about ourselves. So, yeah. And thank you, Kevin and um, Quinn, for having me. It's been great. This was kind of, you know, unplanned, but it's been awesome. Yeah. No, thanks for thanks for uh, giving us your insight. That, that was amazing. Thank you so much. And I agree with you 100 um, percent. I in the beginning, when I first got to the island in June and I started term three, um, I, I kind of fell under the trap uh, where like after an exam, everybody likes to go out to the beach and stuff like that. And I think after the first term three exam, when I went out to the beach, dude, I was just so tired. And that's when I was like, all right, look, I'm not going to change who I am as a person because I'm living on the Island. Now I'm still going to stick to who I am. And me being who I am is when I'm tired, I take care of me. So after an exam, I get food, a bottle of wine, and I sit in my apartment and just hang out with myself for at least 24, 48 hours and just kind of recharge. And then I start socializing the way that I want to socialize. And I think a lot of students tend to fall under this umbrella where like, um, you know, you don't have to always be present in the social scene. Sometimes you need to take care of yourself. It's just convenient because we're on the Island and there's all these things, there's all these social activities that we can participate in. But if you really think about it holistically, we wouldn't have these type of opportunities if we were home, but we have it that we're here now. And I think that social aspect of school forces students, especially students like me, to change who they are as a person 
but you may not want to be looking for that particular change. You know, like I might not be the type of student or I'm not that type of person that likes to be at a bar when there's 200 people there. You know, I like having meaningful conversations. I like to sit there one-on-one with someone. I like to sit there with a group, a tight group of friends or enjoying each other's company. You know, like I'm not out looking to be the popular kid in the crowd. I want to just be myself and just hang out with my friends and share that quality quality time. And sometimes it's really challenging to find that, especially at school when everybody's just constantly out and everybody's on a different schedule. So when term four is studying for an exam, term one just finished an exam. So when I want to go have a drink with my AirPods on and just kind of wind down for 10 minutes, I got to sit at a bar with 300 people there and they're all drinking and partying because they just finished an exam. But I need those five, 10 minutes to wind down. So everybody's on a different schedule. And I think being able to compartmentalize your feelings and your thoughts and what you need at that particular time is very important for your mental health, especially if you want to succeed and survive through medical school, because the answers to who you are as a person and the type of doctor you want to be and the type of doctor you're going to be is going to be found within yourself and not a crowd of people who uh, may or may not have the best interests at heart with you, you know? So I think that's a good point to wrap up the episode. Uh, just quickly for term three, if I can just give you my two cents. Uh, you meet Dr. Randall's for micro and immunology. I think those two subjects are really great. It gives you a good backbone for term four. For ethics, uh, read the companion. <laughs> Don't leave it to last minute. Read the companion. Uh, the concepts that are that are uh, shown on the companion are what is likely to be your expectations for uh, SGU material. Um, don't ignore the companion. Definitely read it. Read it little by little. It's like a 50-page companion. Read it. Like, read like a page um, a day and just just type of, just literally try to understand it because it's scenarios. It's ethics, you know. Um, I wish ethics was tested more of like an open-ended format so we can actually give our authentic opinion on what we think is right at that particular time. But they like to make ethics a multiple-choice question, so whatever. Um, but then after term three, if you get like four or five days off and you're right yeah. at term four. So yeah. when term three is over, <laughs> you get three days off, even worse. Um, yeah. as soon as term three is over, you know, take those days to really R and R and take care of yourself. Cause when yeah. term four starts, it's not that term four is the hardest term. Term four is just going to test you yeah. with your energy and how long you can keep it up. Like, can you go at, can you be at a hundred and can you stay at a hundred for the next four months? That's term four. It's not that the material is hard. Material is easy. It's, okay, I shouldn't say easy. The material is challenging. It would definitely push you to evolve as a student. If you really want to be a great student, a great doctor. But the challenging aspect of it is being able to pace yourself and how you can manage your time and how you can manage your energy throughout term four, especially coming out of term three. Um, but that's all I have to say. Uh, thank you guys for for helping us out with this episode. If you guys have anything you want to add or any last minute questions or any last minute advice, you're more than welcome. Thank you both. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you guys so much. Um, I think the only thing that I would want to add is just I definitely given some stuff that I was like, I said, like you know, like the rough patches that I faced. Like, I mean, no one, there's no timeline. Everyone here. Or, or, everyone's a different age everyone's a different point in their life some people are married um like i mean i was not single for nine years you know it's just like everyone's at a different point in their life like it's so interesting because you're coming all together you're like just like don't compare yourself to the next person i feel like that can be really toxic and it's something that's really hard to it's a bad habit to break and it's something that i did and i feel like that alone was about to be the, like the pit my own pitfall just focus on yourself and 
I mean, I coming from me, I feel like this speaks a lot because when I was coming to the island, I had a really bad outlook because of like the stuff that I was going with at home. And like, I didn't want to leave like the situations back home with my, like one of the many things is that my mom's really sick and she still is. And so even coming back to the island this time, I was excited to come back because I knew what awaited me on the island this time. And it wasn't foreign. And I like, love my friends to death and like being, I'm such a better student in this setting as much as I never thought I would admit that, but leaving was hard and I didn't want to be happy here. I, when I got here, I was resentful. I was mad. I was angry. I was stressed. I was scared. I was upset with myself for taking a leave of absence. And frankly, like I had like, I was just like, not, I had a bad mentality about it. And then somehow I got my highest grade on ER that I've ever gotten. And it's like simply because I was in a new environment with these people who have the same mindset and the same goals. And that was the first time that I was able to prove myself of the capability that I had that Kevin was saying earlier. And so long story short, I just want to like say that I still have a lot of those same issues like back home persisting. So it's a, just a day-to-day climb. It's an it's a, it's a sprint. Well, it's against a marathon of a sprint. But one thing that I thought about recently. I'm just going to remind myself every day when I wake up, which I think could help anybody that we uh, is listening to this or that's here with us is that you don't have to be here. You get to be here. This is an opportunity. It's a privilege, even more so it's a privilege to be in this beautiful country and to be invited into this culture and being able to study here. So just don't lose sight of the end goal. It can be so hard, but I mean, you're, it, it's half of it is what happened. Like I'd say 70% of life it's how you respond to what happens to you and only 30% of what actually happens to you. So just make sure that you are keeping the motivation up. You keep mentality. Mentality is everything, you know, it's change your mindset, change your life. So just know that this is an opportunity. It's a privilege. It's not, um, a, you know, a right, you know, so just keep that mindset and I think you'll be good. Very well said. And some days you have to wake up and just throw a hail mary. Absolutely, yes, yes. That's, that's so true. I've been having a lot. I've been having a lot of those days recently. Like, all right, I woke, I wake up today. It's like, all right, today's gonna be a hail mary. Yep. <laughs> we're gonna do it. Yeah, great way it's to gonna happen. It. And at the yeah. very least, at the very least, be there for the people around you. You know, like I mean, even oh, absolutely. At the very least, just be you just try and bring you know like it, you don't have to have be having the best day but if at the very least you can have a conversation with someone and like you know and if they need it like yeah of course some days you don't have it in, like, in you but at the very least just be a good peer be a good counterpart and you know just like create that environment that we need to succeed and to feel uplifted and feel supported because i mean we're going through it we're going we're in the trenches what we have is each other and we have to make that count yeah absolutely right and you're not special you know, you have the opportunity to be at school, whatever you're going through doesn't, uh, I guess, make you someone that people need to just like bow down to. Like everybody's going through something. Everybody has something that they're dealing with. You never know that, you never know if like a small interaction you're having with someone might make their day, you know, like I can't tell you how many times random people have came up to me at school and have said one thing that literally put a big smile on my face and changed my mood for the rest of the day. You know, exactly. so how you carry yourself and the energy that you give off is, 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 is radioactive, you know, like who, how you carry yourself can influence how other people may, may have their day. So I, I'm a, I'm a firm believer in that. So I appreciate you saying that. And I'd also just like on the very last thing, I know we keep going on, but I'd like to say that you don't know who's looking up to you. And so, I mean, personally, like I would, I aspire to be a better student than I am. I mean, I'm doing fine, but I have like completely like lowered not like my expectations are still high for myself but i've understand stood at this point like you know given like what's going on like what i'm dealing with like i'm happy with where i'm at 
but I would like to do better. And it's always important to want to strive to do better, but just always know that like, even though you think my, I think that my performance is mediocre, I've had somebody to when they look up to me and that, and it just blows my mind. Cause I'm, pr- I mean, it's not my business, but I, I could almost guarantee you that they're doing better than I am in terms of their scores. And for them to tell me that they look up to me, that just blows my mind because I'm like, I would like, they, they, they impressed me so much. And I, you know, so you two, especially like Kevin, I remember when I met you last term, like I, I idolize you and Quinn, I've actually, I mean, I've listened to some of the, um, like I've been to a few of the events and like, I feel like I've heard a lot about you through like uh, mutual people and some people in IEA and you two, you're like, like just the two of you honestly are two of my biggest role models and I look up to you a lot. And so you never know who's looking up to you at any point in time. So just make sure that like, you know, like, remember that and like at the end of the day like just go to sleep at night knowing that like you know your story can be someone else's survival guide well thank you that was really sweet i appreciate it i appreciate that a yeah, lot really. yeah and you're right you never know who's looking up to you when i when i was in turn four um i had i remember having like a really bad day where i just things just weren't clicking in my head and I, and I got to campus and my friends were falling apart. Uh, it was just a rough patch during term four. A lot of everybody was struggling to just kind of keep it together. And my friends kind of looked to me and I kind of saw it on their face. I'm like, wait a minute, if I fall apart, then who do we go to if everybody's falling apart? So sometimes you just kind of do what's best for the people around you, even though you might be struggling a bit. But then those are the same people that will pick you up. It's like a give and take, you know, it's like a yo-yo. Yes. You know, like sometimes you have to make sacrifices for other people, but those yes. are the people that would also make sacrifices for you as well. And yes. that analogy is used in school and it's used in relationships and it's used in friendships and everything else in life. Like it's a yo, you know, it's never going to be 50 50. Sometimes you have to put more, sometimes you have to put less. But when you put less, there's always going to be someone there, hopefully, that will fill in the gap for you. And that's what makes relationships meaningful and authentic and long lasting. And that's why I love the friendships that I've made at school because. These are the t- these are the type of people that I would hope to have in my corner for the rest of my life. Me too. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Everything. Yeah. Yeah. So that's gonna that's gonna be a good uh, point to end the episode. That's a nice little wrap. Uh, thank you guys for being here so much. We really appreciate it. Uh, this will conclude episode seven on term two. Uh, Quinn, do you have any last minute thoughts? No. Nope. Let's just go make some smiles happen. I think this was a beautiful way to end this episode. Yeah. yeah. Thank. you so much yes. i hope you have a great day best of luck on okay. steph best of luck on term five and hannah um i'll see you after taylor <laughs> <laughs> see you later thank you guys right. best of luck to you both thank you all right let's kill the game and uh hopefully we won't have to throw too many hail mary <laughs> yeah.